Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hello, how are you doing this week? Um, what have we been up to around here? It's actually been quite a busy week for me. I've had an album out. I've done, um, I've done an album that's basically a greatest hits album that's called Songs in the Kitchen Disco, which has been inspired by this year and the kitchen discos we ended up doing in our house. And it's really made me think a lot about actually loads of things. I think um, primarily it's made me think about how crazy it is I started the year back in January thinking my year was going to be one shape and then end up another, like everybody else. But I think there's also something about seeing the physical embodiment of of something that came into creation solely because of what happened this year has made me really think, I think, you know, maybe for everybody, there was a bit back in March, April, where I felt like, you know, we were on hold for a bit, but then life would continue. And then you sort of realise, actually, the significance of everything being put on pause is not something you can just sort of skirt over and then pick up where you left off. Although, that being said, I have started work again on the album I started in January. So, you know, it was actually really nice to come back to it, and I can't wait to finish that as well. Um... So this week I've done lots of talking about myself while I do interviews, which, you know, is as strenuous as it sounds. It's actually really easy and also really nice. Everybody's been really lovely to speak to this week. And what else? Um, well, actually, it's funny because my guest this week is Sophie Robinson, who's an interior designer who I've really liked ever since I saw her do the Great British Interior Design Challenge, which is a series I watched. I watched all the series of it. And Sophie was a judge on that. And what I loved about her wasn't just that her love of colour really resonated with me, but I always thought she was incredibly warm and supportive and kind to all the contestants as well. Um, And actually, I think in a weird way, that kind of had a bit of influence on me today because 
you know, like everybody else, I've been spending loads of time indoors and the weather's been a bit murky this weekend too. So I started the day, I was like, okay, I'm going to put on my jeans and my top and no makeup and la la. And then I thought, actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to actually put on some lipstick and I'm going to put on um, a dress that, you know, makes me feel a bit more perky. So I put on a gold sparkly one, (laughs) which, you know, pretty bold choice to be quite honest with you, but just about get away with it as a daytime thing, I think. And you know what? It did honestly lift my mood and um, I'm by no means suggesting that uh, everything can be solved with a bit of colour and, and, you know, putting a nicer outfit on in the day. Of course not. But I do think that when you involve colour in yourself and or, or at least attention to detail or wear something you love, it does make you feel like you matter a bit more than you did when you just sort of chucked on anything that was lying nearby and didn't really think about yourself too much. But hey, maybe that's just me. So anyway, I'm sat here with uh, with my cat, Rizzo, a cup of tea, a room that's a little bit quiet away from the noise of my house, which has been quite challenging the last few days. Everybody seems to have projects on the go and it's busy everywhere. But yeah, I'm really excited to listen back to the chat I did with Sophie because not least, we, we laughed so much. Even when we were discussing really personal tricky things like Sophie's desire to have a second baby um, that, you know, eventually she just realised wasn't going to happen even though she tried for a long time to lots of different fertility options. Um, but even through that, she was uh, laughing about about the way it all happened and I think that is a woman after my own heart, really. It's, it's, uh, it's healthy to be able to reflect on these things. Oh, can you hear that in the background? Mickey is shouting my name. Mommy! Mommy! I bet go. Anyway, see you on the other side. Lots of love. Enjoy. So I've actually been a fan of you for a really long time. Uh, I used to watch the Great Interior Design Challenge. Well done. You don't know how often that's missaid. Oh, did I say it right? Yeah, you did. Not the Great British Interior Design. Yeah, exactly. It always gets people so confused. So well done. 10 out of 10. Um, yes, yeah, so I used to watch that. And I think I've always been someone that's really excited about interiors. And for me, my house is, I think, probably the same for you, a complete extension of me. And I think you were the first person I saw talking so excitedly about colour and giving it a proper, a properly sort of grown-up take rather than colour being what wacky people do if they don't know how to mix shades of grey and beige and things. So it's such a treat to be in your house Aww. because I'm basically just eyeing up everything all the time. <laughs> um, it's like a sweetie shop, isn't it? It's my sweetie shop. Oh, but it's glorious and happy. And the thing I didn't quite get completely from Instagram is that the, the big, there's a sort of an extra star of the show, which is all the stuff outside the window. I mean, how beautiful is that view? Yeah, yeah, you don't, sometimes in summer I'll sh- share my garden. But yeah, usually my Instagram is just focusing on the inside, isn't it? But um, yes, there is, we're in East Sussex, we've got um, got five acres outside. Five acres? Yeah. That yeah. means there's bits of your garden you probably haven't really visited yeah. yet. <laughs> well, a big part of it is a meadow, and then we've got a bit of an orchard, and it's all a bit rambly, and there's a pond and a willow tree, and then luckily for us, we're then surrounded by 100 acres of woodland, which is pub- open to the public so we can go beyond our garden and into the woods. So it is a slice of paradise here for sure. And actually, when we bought the house, funnily enough, it was for the garden mm. and the surroundings because the house itself was very, very beige. <laughs> <laughs> and so you've been here for four ugly. and a half years. Mm. But you moved from a two-bedroom flat, so this is a big shift. Yes, two-bedroom flat, no garden, to a four-bedroom house with five acres. Yeah, it was a bit like gulp. But it was really interesting how it came about because my husband and I were actually renting 
our house we'd put on Airbnb mm-hmm. in Brighton, which was a fantastic little money earner for us. So we rented a two bedroom flat while we rented out our four bedroom house to save. That was the sort of plan. And that took us about six years. And then we were house hunting. And at the same time, my parents had been through a divorce and were having trouble selling our family home in Warwickshire. But then, and so my mum was renting down here. And then actually that sale went through just as Tom and I were looking. And then I just was like, well, you're looking for somewhere in the countryside outside Brighton. And so are we. And actually, how about us looking together and sort of pooling our money together and that's how we've ended up with five acres but that's how we've ended up with our house for me Tom and Arthur and then you notice when you arrived the very modern annex next door is where my mum is and and actually when we bought this property that was a really ugly carbuncle of a kind of garage situation so we completely remodeled that got planning permission remodeled that and then she moved in there oh so how does it feel living with your i mean do you, does she come like over to the house all the time yeah no yeah well we had to look like have some really serious conversations about obviously living next door to one another i mean i've always had a really strong bond with my mum and we get on really well and she's has been and continues to be enormously supportive of me as a working mum. Especially when Arthur was really, really tiny and I was away doing a lot of filming. She was incredible. And so, you know, I must admit, I was like, oh, we could share a house. And I was like, God, childcare on site, that'd be incredible. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) right. So I'm not going to deny that that wasn't part of my thinking around it. Um, But also, uh, it was really important that her and Tom had a good relationship, which they did. And the other thing I think that works with my mum is she is quite private mm. and she's not round here all the time having a cup of tea. In fact, I'd say that it's more likely I'll go over to her house for a catch-up. She's quite independent. And when we were looking for a property, she was like, I want my own front door, I want my own kitchen. Because mm. she, she knew I'd get her cooking for us and all sorts yeah. of it's all about boundaries you know yeah so she was really clear with that and I thought okay that's why it's going to work because we're going to have the you know we are in physically different buildings yeah but what has been really great is you know she is there as a backup for me when I need her to help me out she's really passionate gardener which has really helped me because I've never owned a garden before I lived here Mm. so it's been wonderful having her knowing and understanding yeah all of that so I think, and then she's got us for company because she's on her own and and support. So it's actually a really equal, I'd say, beautiful sort of symbiotic yeah, relationship. Yeah, it sounds yeah. really ideal and, and, and so nice for Arthur as well to have his, or does she like to be called grandma, granny? Yeah, I think she's grandma or grandma. granny, yeah, grandma, okay. yeah. Grandma. I, was, I was saying to Claire on the way here, I've reserved grandma as my name oh, for the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my mum's a grandma, uh, so I've to, like, got digs on that, even though like, my youngest is one, so it's good, good to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think... The bond that my eldest has with my mum is really special. So for Arthur, does he suddenly just pop brand there by himself? Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially if she's watching like Housewives of Cheshire or something. <laughs> 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 All the shows we don't have in our house. He loves it. Um, yeah, exactly. And just and he just loves going over for a chat. Arthur mm. loves a chat. He's really, he's really in for like grabbing a bar stool. And, <laughs> <laughs> and this is Arthur who turned nine. He's just during, turned during nine now. Yeah. yeah. What was his lockdown birthday like? Was it okay? Yeah, it was okay. I think, you know, as I had a lot of anxiety around the fact that he's an only child and it was a long time without seeing any other kids. And I bought a lot of my probably worries around that. But actually, I think, um, 
I think it was fine. He said he really enjoyed his birthday because obviously he got me and Tom just massively giving him loads of attention. He got, we got really into cycling, bike rides in the woods. That was our big thing in lockdown. Yeah. So I think we, we went for a bike ride picnic on his birthday. It was a bit more difficult with my mum because we were obviously really at that time distancing from her because right. she's obviously over 70. So we weren't, what was nice about the summer we had is we could be together in the garden, but we weren't, in fact, she's still not coming in our house. So we're still being really careful, mm. but we were able to socialise outside. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it was it was it was interesting, wasn't it? Lockdown. Yeah, yeah it's quite weird to think back. To, I mean, obviously, it went very much not over everything. I appreciate that, but that actual lockdown bit, that the sort of weeks on end of life being totally turned upside down. Looking back on it, it's so strange, isn't yeah. it? Even now, it's like it feels like. Um, such a peculiar, I don't know if you had this, I kept thinking, have I just dreamt this whole thing? Is yeah. this really happening? And particularly here where you said, you know, you're in this lush, uh, you know, area of the countryside. So presumably you're not necessarily feeling like you're in thick of it. It's not like you've got like, buses going past and life happens. So you probably weren't really seeing a massive shift outside your front door. It's really interesting, actually. You're so right. And I think that had positives and negatives. I think one of the mm. positives were that a lot didn't change for us other than we weren't going out mm. to school or to work yeah. or me going up to London. That was different. But we weren't seeing anything differently because we're really isolated here. I mean, you've arrived, you've seen the, the farm track that we live at the bottom of. Yeah. There was no listening to anyone banging pots on a Thursday evening here, you know. So that wasn't so great. You know, maybe it would, it, there's a lovely feeling of community. My brother lives in Wimbledon and he just has discovered his whole street and they've got a WhatsApp group and it was actually a really incredible mm. time to know your neighbours if you lived in that kind kind of um situation so yeah for us it could be quite isolating but then the beauty was is we didn't have any anxiety of seeing lots of people wearing masks or feeling like we had to distance from anyone because there's literally nobody here apart from yeah. us it just almost keeps it quite abstract i think mm. it's quite hard to tether it into your own reality sometimes and even where we are um we would go to i live in chiswick so i go somewhere to the high roads and actually it felt still quite busy with people getting food and that kind of thing. But one day, Richard and I did a cycle ride through Soho, and that was really crazy. Yeah, wow. It was completely empty. You know, we took photos of ourselves, Piccadilly Circus, not a soul. That was that was when it was Was really it empty. eerie? Yes, or, yeah. it was definitely eerie, but also, well, I suppose, I don't want to use the wrong word and think, I'm, you know, thumbs up for pandemics, so definitely not, but it's quite exciting because mm. you're aware you're seeing something so unusual. So, you know, going through Chinatown, going through Leicester Square, it was like being privy to something really unique and, you know, seeing London through a different way as well. So it was kind of quite sort of, I don't know, I suppose just a big shift in what the norm is. But I think as as things have tried to emerge back into some sort of normality, those are the bits of London that actually still that feel quite sad now because there's not that kind of footfall, sort of the little gift shops, you'll see yes. people in there wait, waiting to, you know, serve people, but no one's really doing that kind of thing yeah it's interesting isn't it the whole for me on so many levels the slowing down element was the positive that I took from mm. lockdown and seeing everybody else slow down because you know we just rush through life at 100 miles an hour I certainly do and sometimes don't feel like you're coming up for air and while it was massively confronting at the beginning trying to get your head around juggling work homeschooling and trying to recalibrate the mm. fact that you can't just do everything like things are slowing and stopping and what does that look like and what does that mean and obviously there was lots of anxiety that came up with that but then when because it did go on for so long you had to surrender to it didn't you yeah definitely and I think when I did that and I was like okay my focus is today 
whatever hideous homeschooling lesson got sent <laughs> sent yeah. down the internet you know it was just like we're just gonna deal with that today um I think in actual fact has been so good for me to have that yeah just to slow down and then slowly build but you, I mean you say you're slowing down but then you said this week you've brought out your, sef- your third online mm. course but you did one during lockdown as well and that yeah. sounds like it's a lot of work and passion yeah yeah so um you know part of my part I've got lots of different I've sort of got an umbrella business if you like which is in colorful interior design is the umbrella and then I do lots of things within that underneath there's you know the blog there's the podcast there's brand collaborations and then the growing part of my business is 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 these online interior design courses which really came about through I was doing workshops. I mean, I'm just like, basically, I'm just mad passionate on people having really colourful, happy homes, Mm. if you want one. You know, if you're wedded to grey and it gives you all the squeals, like, absolutely, there are plenty of people who are going to help you with that. But if you're someone who loves colour, finds it really joyful, then I can help with that. So I had been running workshops for sort of the last four years, some in Brighton, some in London, where I'd get people together and we'd mood board and I'd teach them loads of stuff. And it was just such an awesome day. And very much about building a community of people with a shared passion Mm. as well. And then I was getting all these messages, you know, would I come to Sydney? Would I come to San Francisco? Would I come to Copenhagen, you know, to do these workshops? And I was just thinking, you know, again, being a mum, running a business, having a family, like, no, that's just not really on the card. Sounds great, but it's not going to happen. And so I started thinking to teach online. Launched one last year that did really well and then did um, colour psychology for interiors is something I'm really into. Was planned to launch in April Mm. and obviously I've been working on it since October the year before. These take me ages to write and produce and then you know obviously lockdown happened and I was about to launch this course and it was a really challenging time because I kind of had to stay focused on the course launch because I was like it's here I need to get it out there Mm. um but not knowing whether it was a really inappropriate thing to do while everybody's dealing with a global pandemic. And I'm going, hey, let's talk about interior design. It felt very, I felt very uneasy about how, whether it was the right thing to do. And then I thought, do you know what, people are locked in their houses. And I know this, of course, is going to make them feel good. It's going to mm. be an uplift. Yeah. So uh, it's up to them whether they buy it. I'm just going to stick it out there. And if people want it, brilliant. And that's all you can do. And actually it did really well because it is what people wanted. They wanted a distraction and um, and they wanted some content that was going to be positive and uplifting. So, you know, actually it was it was brilliant. But I'm not going to lie. The whole thing was, yeah, like you say, with the timing of it. Yeah, it's quite hard to, to sort of pitch the, well, to a second guess the tone sometimes but I think I think your instinct is just right and when they say want uplift but also so many people have been really looking properly at their houses and especially if you're someone that's maybe got a really long commute that means you're out most of the day and you're only really at home at the weekends there might be lots of things you wanted to do in your home or felt like you haven't really even made your home have that much personality or feel like your place yeah and this has been a real year for thinking right what can I do here I mean I don't know if the same for you but in our house we did loads of sort of home improvement-y things or going through cupboards we hadn't done for ages or organising stuff. There's lots of that that went on down during lockdown and I really enjoyed that actually and to properly sort of giving my home a little bit of TLC really. Yeah, even just an edit. Like you yeah. say, you don't have to go out and spend loads of money and kind of completely redecorate. It's sometimes just going through the cupboards and drawers and thinking, right, why is all this stuff in here? Yeah. It can be really 
oh my god it can give you such a buzz I mean, don't get me wrong I hate it I'm a natural hoarder and so are you though because this is a very oh, tidy yeah. no, house I have just had a big I've just had a big session I think you have to do it every year for example even all those storage units that you can see behind mm. um on top of there had become a mountain of lego boxes and <laughs> lego's like a running theme yeah, with me I know that totally <laughs> and it was just always loads of toys mm. and I've got all that storage underneath so mm. it took me a whole day this is the thing it is time consuming I emptied all those cupboards and I was like okay we don't play with that that board game we've never played in four years you know just yeah. all those sorts of things and just thinking there isn't room for all this stuff so some of it's got to go and then now the lego quite good at it then when you start get going with clear out yeah, I'm kind of one of those people where I have to let it get so bad that I'm absolutely wigging out and then I go in really hard. You know, like some people do, <laughs> apparently some people do like a little edit every month. They'll do like a run to the charity shop every month just getting rid of right. bits. No, I'm not that methodical. I think I'm half half really. I've got always got a pile behind a sofa in my sitting room, like a charity <laughs> shop pile. Um, and this morning was fun because uh, I'd put there a couple of weeks ago some little yellow wellies that um I thought Mickey might wear but he didn't seem to enjoy wearing them I thought well I'll just they're in good condition I'll pass them on and I put them behind the sofa and then he found them he's got a bit obsessed with shoes Mickey's only one he found them and he's like shoes and wanted to put them on and one of the wellies was filled with water and mm. my thought was that it was my 11 year old kids because he's he's prone to doing like the odd quirky thing around the house so finding him like experimenting with putting water in a shoe would just not really surprise me <laughs> and as an indicator that I thought I'll just bring it up at some point like that's how many things I've probably got to talk to him about like that uh, you know daily <laughs> and this morning I was sat in the sitting room and I heard drip and I realized that the welly had actually just caught a leak that's coming through the ceiling that's no above where way. all that pile is yeah so the welly had just become the receptacle so it wasn't kit it's actually a leak in my, my wow. ceiling wow so that's that's what I've left behind today so thanks for oh having me into your lovely love warm that. dry house <laughs> <laughs> there's not a leak falling into a child's welly um I've always got a path to the charity shop and um my house is in a perpetual state of it's it's going to be when I've done that I'll get that room done and I've been there over ten years now I'm sort of trying to acknowledge the fact that there'll probably be a never finished finished state in my home but do you feel like here I mean to the outsider looking in it looks like everything is pretty much as you'd want it you know it looks absolutely yeah no, beautiful this, this, I mean, what I can recommend is if you do an online course and say you're going to film it all in your house it's a really good. <laughs> I need to do me and my husband have been really busy the last few months just you know even just all the bits that never the trims that never get put on mm. the bit of furniture that never gets a lick of paint you know we've done all those jobs mm. that are always put off to tomorrow so to be fair you are saying it's best but actually um the I'd say the old part of the house is done um our bedroom isn't which mm -hmm. is above the living room where you're seeing here that's an absolute car crash you'll never see that on instagram <laughs> still got the artec ceiling that we <laughs> take some pictures for the before yeah then. no yeah so i'll take some pictures before but yeah it's 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 awful and actually we have just got planning permission to knock this through and do an extension oh, wow here. so um that's what we'd really like to do and actually we did kind of feel that when we bought this house we had this kind of idea that we'd love to extend because as you've seen that is all the lovely view at this end of the house. Yep. But what do we do? We live in the kitchen, mm. which looks over the cars and it's north facing and it's the smallest room in the house. Um, and that's where we live. So you're going to move the kitchen? So we're going to move the kitchen down <gasps> wow, here. That's a so big this change. will be open plan kitchen diner with Gorgeous. the views of the meadow and the orchard and all the things that you want to look at, which the house offers no totally view. I can picture that. That's going to work really yeah, well. Yeah, the house offers no views at all at the moment. So that's going to be, that's going to be really big. And how much of this house is, 
is your husband and Arthur? Do they oh, do they get excited about? Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm taking a lot from that pause. <laughs> yeah. My um, Tom does have opinions. He's you know some husbands are like oh whatever darling whatever makes you happy he's not that man. Um, he has said quite a few times when we do the extension categorically no more pink anywhere he's like done with <laughs> Aww, it i love pink. i know well exactly and i've taken your mantra pink isn't neutral well this is it pink yeah. isn't neutral so yeah clearly we're gonna have pink in the extension but he just doesn't know how i'm gonna slip it in quite no. yet oh, actually no, lovely... richard said that about our kitchen and i just did it anyway yeah. and i really likes it, it so it's fine well, that's it <laughs> i mean my office has this very strong house of hackney wallpaper on it and when that design first got launched, I got the scent swatch and I just showed him. I was like, isn't this the best thing ever? And he was like, over my dead body. That's <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no way. That is hid- He actually thinks that that is hideous. It's a bubblegum pink background. With I know. Like, psychedelic chintz florals through it. Heavenly. Anyway, I know not to give up on a dream. So it just got kind of... <laughs> shelved and then obviously when it came down to do my office he didn't re- he couldn't really call the shots on that no, so I did it and great. all I'd like to say is he loves it he thinks it looks absolutely brilliant and sometimes you and this is one thing I think he's really learned living with me is you do have to see a vision come together at the end yes. you can't just pass judgment on a swatch of pa- you know wallpaper it's then how it's all you've also got a bit of a trump card that it's actually your job <laughs> yeah, I do. It's a well, I just, just have to wait till this vision comes oh, together you know, I love my mum my mum's so brilliant so my mum, considering, you know, I am an interior designer, right, mm. for like 25 years, love her judgment. So when the wallpaper went up and then I got this really crazy, fantastic painting, it's really big. And I love the fact that it's a very full-on painting against a very full-on wallpaper. Like, that's purposeful. Mum mm. comes in, oh, I love that painting. It's great. But far too much against that wallpaper. <laughs> she just totally tells me wow. how it is. <laughs> You're like, Mum, people pay me for my opinion, actually. <laughs> she's always like, no, you've made, you just, you made a mistake there, clearly. There are. And she does that quite a lot. And now I, I used to annoy me, and now I just Find let it, it roll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what about Arthur? What does he have to say? Yeah, he everything? has really strong opinions. Oh, so, does he? Yeah, he does. And he designed and decorated his bedroom. Oh, cool. Which um, was That's brilliant. Nice. He was actually five when he chose that scheme. It's what a, did he go with? It's atomic red. Oh, wow. Um about the same colour as your cardigan, mm-hmm. like really super flame, bright red, yeah, the red. flaming orangey red. And what I love about it is when we picked the colour, he was like, on all four walls, mummy. I was like, oh my God, he is <laughs> my protégé. Yeah. Love it. And then he chose a gentle sky, which is very pale blue for the ceiling. Oh, it's got a ceiling painted as well. Ceiling painted. Nice. And again, that was his idea. Mm-hmm. I probably would have just done it white and not thought about it, but he wanted that. Um, and then interestingly, I was away with work recently. We had the decorator here and I, what, Arthur's room just never got finished. The door's been just primed white and I'm painting all my UPVC windows at the moment to try and disguise the fact that they are UPVC windows. It really works actually. If you paint them, they don't look plastic anymore. It's brilliant. Mm. We will get round to replacing them at one point, but this is not, not until the big renovation happens. So I wanted to do his windows black. And um, and it was all going ahead. And no, I had to, I got the phone call. I was like, I don't want my windows back, mummy. And I was like, oh, but you know, it'll help blend in with the the black and white tree wallpaper you've got. And it's you know, and I was trying to justify it. And he went, no, no, it won't, because I like the fact that it's all light and bright, and the black will kill the sunlight, and the white just reflects the light back into the space. Wow. <laughs> so, okay. How old 
was, was this recently? Oh, this was recently. This is age nine now, not That's five. That's very impressive. But he, like, really understands. So I was like, okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. The white window will help light room, the room feel lighter. So, yeah, we'll go with that. And does he get involved in, like, his, you know, how, the other things, like what he wears and that kind of thing? Is he one of those kids? He's less interested, aesthetic. actually. He's less. He's never been that interested in what he's wearing. His big thing's comfort. Nothing woolen. Yeah. Nice, comfy waistband. He's good to go. Yeah. He's he, and but he does wear colourful clothes. He doesn't wear black or navy or khaki or all those boy colours. Mm. I found one particular brand of clothing very good for him and he gets everything with Bowden. He's basically the Bowden oh, boy. Because okay. they just do really good bright colours, don't they? Yeah. And they do a really comfy waistband. Yeah. They really know what boys like. It's true. So yeah, I'm sure that'll change as he gets older. Um, but he, he does love colour. We just did um the little shower room which is opposite his bedroom. That was all just white loo, white basin, white shower. And I've made it into a rec room and it's got yellow tiles and really crazy floor tiles, but a pink mm. loo and a pink basin. Yes. And he was so up for that. Oh, good. Which I think is really lovely. So I, I'm really pleased that he's not doing the pinks the girls colour yeah. story. He really likes pink as long as it's like a good, bold pink. Yeah. No, my boys are like that too, actually. So he had strong opinions on that, but I got the green card. And then I did a wallpaper in the bathroom and he wasn't happy about that. But I said, sorry, I like it. And I am actually going to push back on this one after. Yeah, you've got to pick and choose your battles, haven't you? Yeah. A family home. Yeah, so no, I have I have got quite two quite opinionated boys in the house. Yeah. But I think, if you, you know, be interesting. If you ask Tom, I think generally he likes the homey vibe in here. Mm. He likes the colour. Yeah. Um, but when we do the extension, I am going to let him own that a bit more. And actually, that's his vibe anyway, all the architecture and what windows we're going to have and yeah. the soffits and all the cladding. Like, he's going to get, like, really into all of that stuff. Yeah, it's funny whenever you do anything, like, because I loved all the interior stuff of, like, wallpaper and soft furnishings and sofa cars. I get very excited about that. But if we've ever done anything kind of more structural, I suddenly find myself unable to remember what height I like a wall, you know, light switch or whether or not I want skirting. Because I'm like, what do people normally have? I suddenly can't remember what the norm is. I'm just like, I just want pretty much what normally you'd expect and then I'll work within that. Yeah, because that's not of interest to you, those architectural details. No, no I'm slightly the same. And, and when we did our hallway, we had to put a new staircase in. And I was just like lusting over floor tiles and wall, wallpaper, um, you know, paint chips. And because we needed to build a new stair, I had no idea how much detailing you could on offer you had when you put yeah. a staircase in and that was uh, and Tom just like was just having such a ball with the carpenter going oh and we could have this curve here we could have a continuous oak handrail there and this detail could go here like that because he just loves woodwork and carpentry and mm. all of that stuff so that's you know that's brilliant that yeah, it's got, a good balance isn't it yeah I was just like that. I want something that I can put my bright pink stair runner on that was like my only sort of yes and do you, do you source secondhand things and vintagey things or is it completely like you is it more like new stuff or actually nothing already see yeah you can say lots of old bits. battered stuff in here yeah I mean I like vintage anyway um because I think it again I'm really integrating a homely home rather than a show home and I for me old things just make somewhere feel rich and warm and homely and I think I've always been brought up around old battered bits of furniture mm. and and it is old batter bits of furniture. I'm really unprecious with my stuff. Like one of the reasons why I've got a footstool, not a coffee table is because that's where the karaoke happens and the cushion <laughs> fights. And, you know, the kids love jumping on that. And 
Um, I don't have loads of like standing lamps and beautiful vases around the sofa areas because this is where the Nerf gun battles happen. So I think, you know, it's really important not to... I'm a little bit precious about the sofa, I'm not going to lie. Arthur likes walking on it in bare feet and I do find myself going, look, dude... New sofa, just mm. no, actually. Yeah, I'll leave them up. <laughs> What's your karaoke song just out of interest? You Mine? Yeah. You said you mentioned karaoke or standing on that. Oh, so it would probably pick... be something like I'd do it my way or some big line. It's <laughs> fun. Was it very appropriate yeah, as it yeah. happens? <laughs> probably would. Some big power ballad somehow. I'm absolutely the world's worst singer. According to my family. Well, they but can't I argue like... with my way because you're doing it your yeah, own way. Yeah, but there you so go. It's a good choice. <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Um, so you mentioned you've been interior designing for 25 years. So this is something you've been doing since pre-baby. Did you always want to be a mum at some point? Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, I think I did sort of, because I used to work in magazines and I went freelance in 2005. And I think even then I was thinking, oh, freelance career is going to be a really good thing when I come to have kids. You know, I want something that's going to be flexible. So I think I was thinking all the way back then of being self-employed in order to try and create a career that works around having a family. And then I met my husband in 2007, I think. 
And I proposed to him after seven months. Ah, Because I was like, right, you're nice. I'd like to have your babies. Let's go. And I was a bit like that. <laughs> How did you propose? I don't think I've actually yeah. heard too much about that. Yeah, I, um, we, it was a leap year. Um, and it was February, but it wasn't on the day you're supposed or you're allowed or supposed to say. I know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's such exactly. a bizarre concept when you actually break it it's down, isn't it? It's a really interesting concept. But I think what happened is I knew I wanted to get married. I knew I wanted to marry him. I was obviously pretty confident that he felt the same. And there was obviously all these conversations about it being a leap year going on in the media. Mm. And I think I was like, this, seriously, are we having this conversation in this day and age? Yeah. That... We're allowed a one day yeah. every four years where we can kind of make the biggest decision of our, you know, one of the yeah. most biggest decisions of our lives. So I think that was running in, in the back of my mind. And then I kind of think, yeah, I did definitely think, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And we'd gone up to London. I can't remember why we were in London. We live in Brighton, but we'd gone up to London. We were on Primrose Hill, which is really close to where I used to live in London. And I was like, yeah, we're going to go on the bench, you know, the like real like yeah. movie spot. And I'm going to pop the question. And we walked out the top of the room and said, we just got stopped. Tom got a phone call and he was turned around and went, crap, I'm supposed to be in Brighton for a meeting. We've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay. And I remember thinking, oh, that's such a shame. Yeah. Anyway, pelted back to Brighton. He got another phone call on the train. The, can- the meeting got cancelled or postponed. So the whole thing was a bit like that. And so we ended up in this pub together in Brighton, around the corner from where we live. And I was a bit deflated. And then I was like, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> I just asked him in the pub. And, uh, and it was our local sort of, you know, local to where we lived. It was lovely. Just a, like a really rainy February, whatever, Wednesday. A couple of old boys in there. And Tom just thought this was the best thing ever. He was so thrilled because he's quite a disruptor. He loves anything that's slightly anti-established, like how we're supposed to do stuff. So he thought this was wonderful. And, Bought everybody in the pub a drink. Aww. But it was very interesting then when it came to ringing our dads. Because then Tom was like, okay, well, you've now got to ring my dad and ask for his permission. So I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> so I ring poor Tom's dad in Bath going, hi, it's Sophie, can I have permission to marry Tom? He was just like, he got really freaked out and thought I was coercing Tom into some marriage he didn't want to be in. It all Brilliant. went a bit weird. So apart from that, it's just really interesting what other people's, you know, especially that generation their expectations of the man should ask mm. yeah was it took them much longer to get their heads around what was going I know, on because even when you talk about it, like that is such an old-fashioned idea that that's the way around everybody kind of anticipates yeah maybe this is like one of the you know another thing that needs to be sort of spoken about a bit really because as you say it's such a massive decision we're so for, you know, marriage being equal partnership. You know, it's not all about taking your husband's name and having a traditional role. It's when, That's completely shattered. That's a thing of the past. And obviously, you can go have it however you want it, but that's not the expectation anymore. But we still have this last yeah. remaining thing of the expectation is that you're going to be asked. And I know so many women that have complained so much about they've been in a long-term relationship and everything's great and maybe got a kid and it's still, you know, but I'm waiting, oh, he's not into marriage, so we're waiting for that. And I was like, you just wouldn't hear it the other way around. Yeah. No, and, and also I think as well, one of the reasons why I did it is I was probably at that time in my life where low, everybody was getting engaged. You know, suddenly mm. everyone drops like flies, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, and then the next year is just around the like summer 30. of weddings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was around that time. But so many of my friends whinging that they, oh, I can't, he's, 
haven't asked me yet. I want him to ask me. And just like, I was just like, seriously, this is, this is nuts because these women are successful, empowered, mm. awesome. And now they're whinging because their boyfriend won't ask them. Yeah, yeah it's a bit pants. I it think. is. I mean, obviously, we're all open to the idea that whether or not actually getting married is for you. That's completely mm. a different topic. But mm. waiting for this sort of auspicious day when they're going to ask in a certain way is really, really old school. I think with my family, we had the bit of, that was unusual about Richard and I. We got, found out we were having a baby very early on. Um, so the marriage actually came, I think, uh, signing with about 14 months by the time we got married. But the bit was that was really weird is that I'd only just started dating. And then I had to tell people like my dad that I was I was pregnant. And my dad's first words when we said we were expecting a baby was, so you've had sex then? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, I think, it, I think it was shock. But, um, yeah, it's quite immortalised that now. It's like, yeah, sorry, Dad. It's definitely, definitely happened yes. at least once. <laughs> yeah, that horse has bolted. <laughs> yeah, yeah he went, and then he went a little bit loopy and then he started asking like Richard where he went to school and all this kind of thing. I think he was like in total yeah. shock. He was... I remember he was like rubbing his hair like this at the same time. I think it was like a self-soothing, sort of rubbing himself like to, to reassure himself yeah. that life was still going to be okay, even if his daughter was uh, knocked up. But um, yeah, it's quite, and quite you, funny. And have you got any sisters or were you the... So from my family, I'm an only child from my mum and dad. And I was on my own until I was eight. And then my brother and sister on my mum's side was born when I was, yeah, eight and 11. And then I, my dad didn't have kids till I was 17. Right, right, right. So you were his girl at that time. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've thought... My eldest turned 16 during uh, the lockdown, and I think my dad would have loved it if he'd had an equivalent for me at teenage. <laughs> <laughs> like, a four-year lockdown would have been great. My I'm dad sorry. sounds quite similar, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's like, he didn't mind me dating people, he just didn't really want to know about it. No, no, yeah. Uh, oh, that's fine with me. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole multi-layered thing, isn't it? I mean, I think my dad had a really... It took him quite a while to get his head... And I, you know, I wasn't 16. I was 34 or something. <laughs> <laughs> it still took him ages to get his head around it. Yeah, it's quite a bizarre kind of thing. <laughs> Just have us, like, yeah, like, enclosed in uh, amber. Like, you're going to stay at this certain age where yeah. innocent, nothing can touch you. Um, so when you when you found out you were having a baby, were you, were you working at the time using all your... Yeah, so we we got married the year after the engagement and then I actually fell pregnant on honeymoon. Honestly, I was like, let's get this done. I was sort of, no, that sounds really awful. No, it doesn't. It was, it was not getting this done. It was, yeah, I was just really clear that this was what I wanted to happen. Um, And as is quite common, miscarried that pregnancy um, and then fell pregnant with Arthur very soon after that. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was all sort of, you know, everything was going to plan. Um, I was working in TV at the time, but not on camera so much, off camera, um, doing, working on an interior design program, doing all the room, room reveals. So it was quite a punishing, that is, it's a really punishing schedule to be involved in, you know, away from home alone, lots of traveling up the M1, really, really full on time. Um, and then Arthur, Arthur came along and, yeah, I, I, I stopped work um, for... Well, I kind of told myself I'd give myself a year off. And my mum was quite heavy on me about this, about how you have to make the most of these opportunities and embrace motherhood. And she's... My mum didn't have a career after she had me and my say, brother. Did she work? Right. So um, she's really passionate about, about that. So 
Well, and I kind of get it. I kind of knew where she was coming from. And I did really listen to her and this whole, like, you know, as every mother's heard, they grow up so fast. You know, that was always really drummed into me. So I thought, right, I'll give give a year. And I, again, being freelance, it was okay. I could do bits and bobs. I mean, I remember hilariously got asked to do 60 Minute Makeover um, on screen mm. designer, which is a show that I'd done. I'd kind of dipped my toe into a bit. And I thought, okay, yeah, I need to do this. Like, this is an opportunity. I need to do this. And we got a uh, we got a motorhome at the time, Tom and I, and um, I took my mum in motor the motorhome. Home, yeah, a little <laughs> motorhome. Took my mum in the motorhome with Arthur. I was breastfeeding, and just did that classic thing of running in and out for feeds, doing a bit of filming, and mum sitting in the motorhome with him all day. So we made it work, mm. but it was looking back on it, it was insane because I just didn't even know my mind. But it was good fun. So how old was Arthur then? Three months. Oh, I tell <clears> me, yeah, um, and. Yeah, and then I, there might have been another couple of smallish things that, that came in. But yeah, it wasn't until... And I breastfed him for the first year. So it was really... That was the break then that... Um, he didn't go to nursery or anything, but I could do bits. And my mum and my mother-in-law as well was really hands-on. Mm. They would sort of cover me for bits and bobs. So it was just slowly working part-time, I suppose, really. And pretty much until he went to school, actually. Okay. Just keeping that balance of... So for yeah. about four years. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think with the work when they're little as well, you sort of try to emphasize because that's obviously who you were before you had a baby. And then sometimes some of it feels completely fine and natural. And other things you just think this feels just a bit wrong and I don't really feel like this is quite where my head's at right now. Because, you know, I completely forgot that I did interior design challenge when he was two. It's, it's such a blur, isn't it? I've just said to you, did I not work for four years? <laughs> oh, no, I did. I did that TV show. Which must have been a big yeah. commitment. Yeah, so that was interesting. So I basically... Oh, that was it. I'd actually <laughs> decided to give up interiors after having Arthur. Oh, wow. Yes, I had. I thought, oh, I'm just... You know, because it, it is quite... I was doing much more sort of styling work. Giving up shoots in to London. do something totally different? Yeah, or? to do something totally different. And this friend we'd met, me and Tom had been to holiday, um, travelling in India, and we met this guy called Dr. Kamraj, who's a yoga teacher and a naturopath. And he came and lived with us for a bit in England. And then I was organising yoga retreats for him. So he'd come over and I'd organise these yoga retreats. And I just loved it. It was really nice. It was a totally different thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm going to get into that because I can organise a venue and I can... Do you actually do yoga yourself? Or yeah, I was yeah. doing yoga at my, at myself a lot then. And I was just really interested in that whole scene. So I thought I was going to do that. <laughs> and then BBC Two rang me up and were like, we're launching this new show. Will you screen test for it? And... To be honest, I, I've been screen tested for so much over the years of which nothing ever happens. So you, I just always say yes and I go along and do my twirl and then either hear from them or not hear from them. But that one actually did end up with a commission with me and Daniel judging it. And Arthur was two, I think, or coming up to two. Um, and so that was super challenging because that was a 14-week filming schedule. Mm away from home for three days and usually three nights every week um and it, I think he'd sort of started part-time nursery by that point but I had a uh, childminder come to the house at seven because my husband had to leave work at seven so she'd come at seven have him till nine where either my mum or my mother-in-law or he'd go to nursery and then he'd do that and then they'd have him in the afternoon and then my husband would put him to bed and it was quite a massive logistical nightmare and looking back on it it put strain on all of us Mm -hmm. put strain on my husband he actually hated it when I was working on that show because 
the other thing was, Takes was over. I'd come back and I'd be so tired because I'd been in a pair of high heels for three days. <laughs> Just, you know, talking constantly. So I'd feel completely like an empty vessel. And then, you know, I think my mum my and Hilda never moaned about it, but it was asking a lot of their commitment mm. at that time, which they were happy to do. I don't think they'd be so happy to do that now because they've very much got their own lives. But at that little time, they were happy to support me doing that. But I found it, yeah, I found it really tough. And so I did design challenge for three years and then I had to be like, oh, that was it. Then he was about to go to school. And the, those 14 weeks are through the summer. Mm. And I thought, actually, I don't want to do this anymore because I won't see him in the summer holidays. Mm. And he is growing up really fast. So I'm glad I did it for those three years. It was cool. I loved it. It was a brilliant program. But yeah, I don't, I don't think like, I'm glad that's not my life. I've just always been away from home. Yeah. I'm glad I've, I've now got a career that's much more suited. Yeah, I was going to say, it feels to like my you've terms. carved out exactly what works yeah. for you. I'm quite surprised to hear you nearly stop doing it because I would have thought it's something that is so inherent in how, you, how your home life is, not just your day job. That, I mean, do you think that was partly like just, did you feel like any, any sort of, I don't know, doubts about your confidence about doing it when you'd had a baby or was it just more that you just thought I'm not sure how, how I can make the, the interior designing as it presents at the moment work for me with a with a small child oh you're home. talking about when I decided to give it up altogether yeah. no that actually to be fair the giving it up altogether was because I'd been I'd been an interior stylist at that point probably about 15 years and I'd really done it like mm. I'd done every photo shoot for every magazine all the brands I was getting really bored of it actually and it was getting up at five, going to the flower market, packing the car, going up to London, sitting in the Blackwall Tunnel for mm. 45 minutes. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was, um, and also it's such a wonderful job. And I remember when I loved it and it was so creative fulfilling. And I sort of, after having Arthur, I was thinking I'm not loving it, finding it knackering. And mm. then I've got to unpack the car at the end of the day. And I've been doing this a long time and I just need to, yeah, the, the love's gone. I really felt that. Mm. The love for this is, gone and that's not good because this is a creative job and there's loads of people who'd love I kept thinking that I just kept thinking there's loads of people who'd kill to have this job yeah and I'm whinging about it like that's just not good it's time to have a refresh so really that I just fell out of love with it and interestingly I haven't actually gone back to styling so Mm. even though I'm still working with interiors it's morphed into something else and Instagram's arrived and that's allowed me to have my own mini magazine Mm. platform if you like so yes I'm still creating content I'm still sharing my knowledge of interiors, doing lovely pictures, but I'm the client, if you like. I haven't got some miserable editor going, oh, actually, we've decided that we're not going to go with Scandi on the cover this week. We're going to go, you know, and just being, you know, it's just annoying sometimes when someone else is pulling the strings. I love the fact that I'm now completely my own boss. And what's interesting as well with working with brands on Instagrams and brand collaboration from because of my stylist background they're I'm they're not giving me the brief they want me to create the brief so it's exciting yeah so um so I I've found a new career if you like and and rekindles my love for what I was gonna say do you think you love it as much now oh yeah 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 and and I think before when I was a stylist you know I'd have to do new ways with neutrals I'd have to do whatever it was it wasn't about me and my love of color or taste it was just like whatever the editor wanted and now what's happened with social media is it's all about playing to my strengths. Yeah. And I think when you do that, when you have a job that 
really is the full expression of what you genuinely authentically love and are good at then you're just even better at it aren't Mm. you so I sort of feel on so many levels that I'm better than ever that what I'm doing Mm. and able to share genuinely what I know about interiors without having to fit into anybody else's expectations it's brilliant and it's thrilling and everybody's doing it it's great you know it's not just me it's everybody's doing it it's wonderful yeah kind of new realm of ways of passing on your knowledge and inspiring people no it's it's, so true exciting when you phrase it like that as well you say like the way that it can be much more I mean, you get people that haven't that, that find their own voice of like on things like Instagram in a way that in new jobs, new opportunities that just weren't even there before, and it's like that sort of magazine community thing that can, yeah. can form where you can cultivate that. But do you think do you think you would have always found your way back to interiors anyway? Well, when I got the job, so so it was all ready to, to to ditch it and try something else, and then Design Challenge came along, which did give me a whole new you know, that was a whole new thing, a whole new craft working in TV. And me and Dan loved seeing these new designers and they were so inspirational and innovative. These Mm. are people who weren't trained in design, who were given like £750 or £1,000 to completely remodel a room. We were just like, wow, you know, they're awesome. So I think that really rekindled a big passion. And then interesting, it was my TV agent said to me, oh, you know, Sophie, I don't necessarily think the future's in telly she was very visionary I think the future's in YouTube or Instagram and this was when Instagram was really it was around but nobody was really using it so I was like oh okay if you say so and I sort of opened up a YouTube channel which I've since that kicked to the curb because Instagram for me is so much more immediate and easy to tap into because I'm not into editing or I'm not I'm not a tech geek I just go on (laughs) stories and it's out there and then it's gone and then we move on but yeah so it was it was interesting that that's what she said um that was where the future was and I think for me for sure she's right I've never been busier I've never been my business never been more lucrative since I started up my own Instagram and that whole world so yeah it's and it's empowered so many people hasn't it? it's empowered so many mothers who can do what I set out to do have that perfect balance of Mm. being present for your kid being able to do the school run and then sit at your desk and create an, a revenue for whatever whatever it is yeah you know, I've got friends who are fine artists and painters and they've always been scrabbling around and suddenly they're selling work directly on Instagram it's awesome yeah no it's, I've, I've discovered so many people like that on Instagram and I love it it's like I get really excited about all the possibilities of what's out, out there and all these people who are really talented and have these sort of cottage industries where they buy you know you buy from them direct and follow their work and it's really nice and you know sometimes you'll buy something from I don't know an artist on Instagram or for me on things like eBay and Etsy as well and you'll get like a little handwritten note that comes yeah. with it and I just love that kind of love that goes from one place to the other and like you really feel like you're actually tapping into something that's more than just buying something yeah. so when I look at a picture on the wall I bet oh yeah that was from that girl and found out a little bit about her life and it's really nice I quite it's super nice and it's always been there but mm. now we can hear the story can't we exactly it's not going via a department store or via an art gallery or you know which exactly. takes the soul out of it mm. we are exactly having that conversation directly with the artist or saying well I love this but could you do it in this size or in this color or yeah you know it's super super exciting it is um when I knew I was coming to see you because I was thinking I haven't actually spoken to many people who've got one one child and I thought it was by choice and then recently I saw on Instagram you put that you've just had a birthday and it was quite a big milestone for you because it was a sort of like in your head it was when you were gonna officially sort of stop trying for a second baby if that's what the fates had in store and 
I thought that was one area of our lives. For some reason, everybody feels they're allowed to make very personal comments. It's always about kids. <laughs> and I mean, from the moment I had one, it was, are you going to have another? And then when you're having another, it's about what gender it is. And people make these really sweeping, but incredibly personal comments. And they do it really from the get-go. And I thought, for you, that must have been really tough when you've had your first baby. And then everybody starts asking when they get to like two or three about having another one. Yeah, it it is tough and I think what we need to do more is share that it's tough you know these conversations are tough because I'm sometimes amazed that women as well women to women are still coming out with these really blunt inappropriate insensitive questions 100%. I mean from my point of view as you've probably gathered talking to me already is I my life has just been going to plan up until <laughs> up until this fertility issue you know I very much like found the man got him right tick <laughs> Ring on finger next, and you know, I suppose, um, you know, and I, you know, and I'd got my dream TV job. I was just like winning at life, totally. You know, it was, it was everything was really peachy, and as I said, you know, there was an unfortunate miscarriage, but I was told that was so normal, and then got pregnant again really easily. Like I had no idea what was coming. I just thought everything, and I was going for three was my number. I'd left it too late to have five, so. <laughs> I probably would if I started earlier. Who knows? Because I'm quite greedy. I just love more, more, more. Give me more joy. Kids are great. Let's have loads of them. I love cushions. I've got loads of them. You know, I'm a maximalist in all areas of my life. So I just want, I just really wanted the crazy house full of loads of kids and chaos. I just thought that was just the dream. So, um, so had Arthur and actually, you know, typically it was quite a traumatic birth. So I was like, oh, I'm not rushing into number two just yet. Let's recover from that, shall we? You know, so it really was probably 80. He was 18 months at least before I was even able to consider going again. And also I was working in my dream TV job. So then I did this crazy thing, looking back now, crazy thing of trying to time my pregnancy to work with filming dates. I don't think that's that crazy. Well, you know, had I known what I'd have known, I'd have just yeah, gone for it. But you. I was just thinking, oh, you know, I really need, if I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to keep working in the uh, on Design Challenge, then we need to time it this way. But I just thought that it would happen. And then it kind of didn't happen. And again, I wasn't worried because I was thinking, clearly I can just have one when I want one. And then I think I was 37. Was that 37? And I went to my GP... And sort of said, oh, you know, it's not quite happening. And honestly, it was, oh, even now. She just sort of said to me, well, what do you expect? You're 37. Like, of course you're not getting pregnant. And she just made me feel like such an idiot. Like, wow. Yeah, it was really, she was so blunt. And and then was kind of like, well, the NHS aren't going to do anything for you because you've already got one. So uh, off you go. She sounds brilliant. She was really (laughs) brutal. And I just felt so humiliated and I just thought, what have I been doing? I've been doing this timing thing of doing, you know, and thinking I can have my cake and eat it. And yeah, I'm 37 and I should have been a lot more on the case with this. No, but what was she talking about? I know so many women, I've got a girlfriend that had her first baby at 39, I've got another one first baby at 43. Yeah. This is not the life it's, we're really living, Well, that's, that's as it turns out, isn't it? It's everybody's fertility journey is completely different exactly. and everybody's... But so, one thing is for sure, no matter what is going on with you, that is not a helpful response. No, it wasn't helpful. It was, re- And so naturally I left that surgery that day. I was like, I'm good, deregistering from here. And, um, and, and then went to a fertility clinic and he sort of 
gave us some statistics of 20% chance. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound brilliant. And oh, it's a lot of money. And then I went to see a natural um, fertility expert who was like, you're fit, you're well, you're all good. There's some hormonal imbalances we can sort out. We've got an 85% success rate. So I was like, okay, I'll go with you. So for two years, I did natural fertility uh, work, which meant a really strict diet of no alcohol, caffeine, sugar. It was very dietary based. Um, I, you did this. I did that really strictly for two years and looked amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Lost loads of weight. My skin was like a 12 year old. Honestly, it's a harsh diet, but yeah, you look amazing. Wow. So what's that? No alcohol, no, no caffeine, alcohol, no sugar. Yeah. No fun. I yeah. Was <laughs> And I'm clutching my and no sugar. Tea. No sugar was literally like no honey, no natural sugars, no I guess ketchup. Yeah, no ketchup. <laughs> I think I was allowed strawberries and blueberries. Oh, wow, sweet thank drink. you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'll savor every single one. <laughs> um, and I suppose I, I just felt really positive. I'd always kept a really positive attitude that it would happen. Mm. And was I aware of people asking me? Maybe, maybe not. But at the same time, I just had no doubt that I was going to get pregnant. So I still just sort of maybe had a niggly worry. But I was just like, yeah, you know, this is going to happen. We are very much encouraged as well to think that your own mental take on it is part of the Mm, picture. Yeah. may or may not be the case, really. I mean, being positive is always a good thing for anyone. But you're also encouraged to think that's maybe going to be the thing that might help you. Oh, I tell you the one... Oh, I've just remembered now the bit of advice used to really wind me up there. Oh, when you stop trying, it'll happen. Oh, oh my God, how unhelpful is that? So unhelpful. How what does that even mean? unhelpful is that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that one a lot. If anybody's said that to anybody in the past, never say again, it's really unhelpful. Because, yeah. you, when, you know, you literally, in your late 30s, you, you know... And I, this is now rolling into my 40s now. This was this would have been happening. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I can't hang around. You know, mm. I've done that. I've done that. Oh, it'll happen. I've already been in that zone. That didn't happen. That didn't work. So now I have to do in the trying a bit harder phase. So I was in the trying a bit harder phase and um, trying not to get stressed, doing things like not working in telly to try and not have that insane stress, um, but still continuing to work. Because I was thinking, I'm not going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm not going to give up working mm. just for this. You know, it's a balance, isn't it? You're a rounded person. You need to have definitely other things in your life and I remember thinking that I'm not going to give up my career for this because I think that would be a mistake and it would have been because then I'd literally have been left with nothing and then um oh god I, this is like with any fertility story it does go on so the, the the natural thing didn't produce anything and I think they basically the ladies basically said to me oh you know they started feeling like they couldn't do anything more for me so then I hit Harley Street with a massive checkbook <laughs> said take all my money I'm gonna try IVF and um and did one hideous round of that so my beautiful natural clean body just got pumped full of you know everything and uh and that was a very very upsetting experience I think that whole fertility world could take a good long hard look at the way they treat women especially of a certain age yeah um and then they basically said my eggs were too old. They actually mm. said that. They're not, uh, what was it? They're a bit flaccid. A bit flaccid. Oh. Uh, when she tried to put the, what is it? They tried to put the sperm in the egg. It was all a bit, it's all a bit flaccid, a bit old, a bit tough. Oh. bit tough. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. 
words. <laughs> so... the word, the language. You never is... forget any of these things. No, as well, the language sometimes... is astonishing. It's yeah. such a cold, calculated. I'm offended on behalf of your eggs. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I was like, <laughs> come on, my little old oh, yeah. baggy eggs, let's go home. <laughs> Yeah, so they didn't. They didn't recommend. It's a um, very intensive thing as well. IVF. It's. It, it's. I grew up with my stepmom having rounds of IVF, and even from where I was standing, the concentric circles of how it affects things. I take off my hat to anyone who's gone through it. Actually, I didn't really realise until fairly recently quite how intrusive it is. Yeah. Yes, you have to have a very positive mental attitude. And it was really hard. I, I set up a little WhatsApp group with some women that we'd sort of seen. We were obviously all going through it at the same time. So we sort of saw each other in the waiting room. And we did a little WhatsApp. And out of the five That's of nice, us, actually. three of us were successful and two of us weren't. Um, was that a helpful community or was it? Quite- I think it was at the time because, you know, we were all supporting each other about these injections that we had to take. And because, you mm. know, it's... It's just really intense and really mad. And it was nice to, to, to be with other women who were getting through it. When, um, when it turned out that it, and we were the two older women who weren't successful and the three younger ones, you know, it's just so, it is textbook. And then I, did, I didn't want to be in that WhatsApp group anymore no. after that. I wished them well, but I was like, yeah, you know, no, I'm done sense. and I'm not going again. So, you know, um, so that was that. And, and all the way through it, actually, that's really important to acknowledge is, you know, the older woman who was older than me, who wasn't successful, didn't have any kids. And that was her last time. Mm. And actually, they didn't have much money either. And they'd really borrowed up to their, I think her partner was a lorry driver, and they'd financially crippled themselves. And I really had to get a handle on how full is my cup. Actually, it's really full. I've got a job I love. I've got a wonderful son and it's really important in those scenarios to be thankful and grateful and tried really hard. And I think I was ultimately successful in focusing on what I have to be grateful. Mm. And that's what I've always carried through. But it's a funny thing when this is the unquantifiable thing that also my husband and I will never, uh, he'll never really understand how I feel because logically he's like we have a lovely home you have a lovely job we've got wonderful friends we've got wonderful son why are you so upset like he can't you'll never understand that and um and I think that's where women who've tried to have children will only ever really understand that fundamental basic yearning which isn't logical I know I totally get it's, what you mean with that yeah. it's just <laughs> um and you know not even all women have it either but for those of us who have it's something you can't talk yourself out with, with no. common sense. Yes, you get a bit obsessed, I think. I never really knew what being properly broody was in that, that way until maybe I'd had my third and that was like, I really got it then, that yearning, that thing of just, I can't stop thinking about this other little person that might be out there. Mm. And and actually, when I was going to have my last baby, you know, I was approaching 40 and I thought, I did think, I mean, I grew up in, a, in two households that had fertility issues my mum tried to have a third baby with my stepdad and actually ended up having 10 miscarriages just couldn't carry any to term never really got to the bottom of what happened she's spoken about this publicly so I'm not being really disloyal by bringing that up and then this, yeah, my other household my dad's household my stepmom and, and dad were going through lots of um, rounds of IVF and trying to have a baby and you know I, I think 
I thought when I was having my last baby, I'm just going to try and be really at peace with this. And if it doesn't happen, I'm, I don't really want this to be the thing that I just latch onto and can't move on from. But it's easier said than done. I don't really know what, what it would have felt like if if I, that hadn't, I'm sure I would have had to go on my own journey with it. And I think whenever I've wanted a baby, it's like it sort of fills every part of my head. And mm. the logic is definitely not a factor. <laughs> it's like very much not a factor. If that was a factor, that was, you know... <laughs> Logic doesn't really factor very much in my decision making. Again, to be honest with you, <laughs> I don't find logic that sexy. No, it's overrated. <laughs> it really it's is. Totally overrated. It really is. But I'm sure that Arthur has had lots of. I do sometimes worry about the fact because I have got a lot of kids, and I do feel like it's not their. It's not their fault that I ended up <laughs> giving them four brothers, and it's you know I remember when I told my eldest about having Mickey. And he was really sad about it. And he said, there's only two parents and there's a lot of us to go around. And I feel weird. I feel like if I hadn't had lots, I would have just had just had him. I had Sonny just, he was four, nearly five till we had another baby. And I really liked Oh, it so he it. did have you for himself for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And I was on my own as a child till I was eight. And then continued being an only child till I, at my dad's house till I was in my late teens. And I think it's definitely been a big part of who I am, actually. I think I still carry that only child version of me, even though I ended up having lots of much younger siblings. Um, and I think sometimes I do worry that I haven't been able to, I'm sort of almost a bit jealous of the idea of having just one where you can just put that focus. Mm. Because for me, the kids get more and more complex the older they get. Mm, and I've I, heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I was thinking when you said, you know, you took a year off when they're a baby for work. That's absolutely lovely. But really that's, that's like much more for us as mums. But yeah. for them as kids, I think they benefit a lot more from having you around when they're older. And the guilt I feel with the older ones for going to work or not being being there for everything is much more significant than any boohooing bubba I leave behind the door when they're like, you know, before they're two or three. Because I know that, you know, they'll yeah, they're easily distracted, shut aren't they? minutes after I've yeah. gone, they've forgotten about it. But the older ones will ask me questions and this is the third night out you've been out, you know, in the last two weeks or you promised me you weren't going to do that anymore and all that stuff. Oh, wow. And that's, that, I find that much harder. That tugs at my you know heartstrings and And is it that they just want your presence or is it that they've actually got stuff that they need to talk to you about bit of both i think for my eldest two they just like having me around they just like knowing i'm in in the building and you know sometimes sonny might come and hang out and he's 16 now and he might come in the kitchen and start making himself a cup of tea or i just noticed that he's i don't know got himself a bowl of cereal in the evening but he hasn't actually just taken up to his room he's like lingering yeah i think oh maybe there's something on his mind and i've got to try and sort of find the way in and um, I spoke to Catelyn Moran about this because she's got two girls that are in their um, late teens now. And she said, during teenagers, you have to almost um, make yourself like a cow and just moo at them. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of turn. And I thought, actually, I'd never thought of it in those terms. But I definitely have turned myself slightly buffoony for my eldest. And I know that's like a weird way of terming it, but I feel a bit like Mr. Blobby or something. So I won't, I'll be like this sort of like, it's only me, it's only mummy, I'll probably say the wrong thing or do something a bit embarrassing, but I'm harmless. And by being this sort of harmless creature, I try to encourage him to be as candid as possible so that he doesn't feel I'm judging him or just always keeping him problem solving. But I think the teenager, I think he needs me the most in a way. And it's the hardest thing because he's the one that's on some little bungee cord attached to his bedroom. So I sort of have to pull him down to the elastic (laughs) stretching point, find a way to tether him to a chair. And then when I'm not looking, I'll untie and boing, he's back in his room again. And I'll be like, where's Sunny gone? So yeah, I definitely think the idea of having one child 
and being able to listen and react and play and all that stuff. There's a lot yes. I've not been able to do. A yes. lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah, no, you, uh, as you say, every family is unique and every situation is unique. And, and I've, I have like, I had so much guilt for not giving Arthur a brother and sister because I kept thinking he'd be so amazing. He'd be such an amazing brother and sister and he would have done. But, you know, he doesn't know that. He doesn't no. know the And also sometimes difference. he'd find his sibling really annoying as well. Oh and then you'd be gosh. thinking. Oh my gosh, I was horrible you know. to my brother now I look back and I think, God, he's luckily he hasn't got a sister like me though. <laughs> sometimes it's you know it's like everything there's like a yin and yang to literally everything Mm. and I think with family especially you learn so quickly you know nature taught you in a really cruel way but there are you don't have a lot of control over what goes on you don't have a lot of control over who they are what they need from you what they're going to want to do, you know. Arthur won't even let you paint his window the colour he wants, you know. know. <laughs> there's, like, there's loads of I stuff. I can't, I mean, he's 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 got his father's kind of engineering, spatial, uh, he loves Minecraft. I'm sure there'll be loads of women out there who are like, yeah, we get the Minecraft. I just don't understand what the heck is going on with it. Yeah, Minecraft is an odd one. Kit's built like whole worlds in there. Yeah. And he takes me on tours. Oh, yes, yes, tours. And I have to do the mooing. Mm. Yeah, like the cities I've ever seen because yeah. there's no people. But this is an office block. This is a hotel. This is, you know, apartments to rent. I'm like, who are they? Yeah. There's no people in these little yeah. Minecraft villages. Yeah. He takes me on. Yeah, no, it's 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 it is literally another world, <laughs> and it's fascinating to see that that's how his brain works because it certainly isn't mm. how I work. You know, and I suppose with kids as well. Selfishly, I was looking forward to the glitter and the artwork and the crafting and you know because that's what I love doing as a kid it's just never really that's just not his vibe and that's cool so um yeah it's it, you just let you know it, again it's having kids isn't about you is it it's about them and what they're into and seeing them flourish and that's a real it is a real privilege and I do learn a lot you know not just that white windows let more light into the room that's not just the only thing <laughs> You know, they teach you loads of stuff, don't they? they and do. for him, it's to be... Because he's quite chilled, Arthur. He's a very slow, chilled, gentle child. Mm. And I'm quite the opposite energy. And, you know, he'll stay, you know, and he'll he'll call me out on it. Or if I snap at him too sharply to put his shoes on, he'll be like, Mummy, you didn't say that in a very kind way. And I'm like, oh, okay. Aww. You know, it's good. He sort yeah. of, like, calls me out on... Um, on stuff it's it's good yeah he's he's good for me it's uh, good he sounds like a lovely boy um <laughs> do you think that sometimes when when there's I think they call it secondary fertility issues when someone's been able to have a baby not very easily first time and then struggles do you think that sometimes people can be a bit dismissive of it if you've already got a child yeah maybe I mean I haven't I haven't suffered from too much of that oh why didn't you have another one I I didn't really hear that a lot people thinking but you've already got one oh yeah yeah possibly um I interests me that maybe some people think that that was a choice I don't know I don't overly worry I have to admit I don't overly worry no, I think that's a good thing about I'm really what people because sometimes those things can happen yeah I've got a girlfriend that had exactly that and she just couldn't have another baby and nothing seemed to happen. And I think she felt like people, some of her friends didn't really quite understand why it was such a big deal when... When you've already had. got one. Oh, I yeah. see what you mean. Yeah, possibly. Possibly people don't. What is frustrating with it is, you know, I was never told why. Mm. You know, um, they couldn't ever find the thing that wasn't... that was the reason. Although, and actually... I quite liked the fact they said this to me because it did make me feel better, is the um, the IVF gynaecologist sort of said, it could be that you've got fertility issues that we haven't found out and 
therefore having your son is you've been really lucky oh that's actually yeah and I thought oh that's a super way of looking at it so rather than being lacking of like oh why can't I to step back and go wow yeah you already had such a big gift with it already yeah yeah for sure yeah because it clearly is a very complicated thing that they can't always get to the bottom of no it's very true my mum never found out what the what what would cause her miscarriages ever She'd gone from finding it easy to get pregnant to suddenly it just wasn't happening. Wasn't happening. No, she never. She has a theory that it's to do with her immune system and yes. rejecting the pregnancy. But um, yeah, I think they they were talking to me about a similar thing that that what it did, wasn't even getting as far as miscarriage. It was just all being the immune system was shutting it down from the get go mm. because I, there just wasn't no pregnancies. Like yeah, but I can see looking at this house is absolutely brimming with happiness and love and colour and I feel like is do you think it's possible to have a house that is so loving if it's not so filled with colour I know this is a controversial <laughs> issue yes by I the do way. I think it's absolutely I think anyone <laughs> with a gray, all grey house is dead in the heart <laughs> cold behind the eyes yeah. did you um, grow up in a bright house I, I grew up in a really creative house. Um, my parents were kind of like the original fixer-uppers. My dad worked in the motor industry. Mm. So consequently, as a regional manager, we moved a house a lot. I think we ah. moved six times by the time I was seven. Wow, um, that is a lot. Yeah, and they would buy wrecks and do them up because my dad liked the... Op- the, the, the he actually loved DIY. So even though he was in a, a suit in the office all <laughs> week, he loved getting the sledgehammer out and... <laughs> everything like that the weekend and my mum did all the decorating so yes she didn't have a career I'm using the inverted commas but she was a housewife and Mm. fixing up houses so that's what she'd do all day she'd be painting decorating which she's still wallpapers for me here she hangs all my wallpaper yeah she's like that's a skill as well yeah yeah she's very very skilled decorator and she's very artistic so um do you remember that sort of 80s 90s decorating craze for paint effects yeah, definitely. Rag rolling, rag rolling still yeah. I had a rag rolled bedroom. Yes, me too. I think actually mum was colour washed. <laughs> there was all of that stuff going on. So my mum was big into that. So it was really exciting watching her creating all these paint effects. There was hand-painted kind of grapevines and ivy around the kitchen. Oh, it was cool. that really bucolic 80s kitchen, you know, with the hops and the dried flowers. You remember the dried yeah, yeah, flower yeah, yeah. thing was massive. We dried flowers everywhere. Laura Ashley, yeah. knock yourself Potpourri, out. all of that as well, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was a very creative home because of her and very maximalist. And then there was my dad sort of effing and jeffing because he drilled through an electrical <laughs> wire or whatever. <laughs> so it was, there was always a lot going on. But I think I was kind of like woken up to the magic of the before and after from a young age of mm. seeing the, oh, it's this horrible house they've brought us to, to, oh, wow. And just like literally watching it transform in front of our eyes. Because my brother's in the same industry, interestingly. he's really? in a, He works for interior design tv shows so he does all the work and set design and stuff like that so it's clearly you know had a massive impact on us and then yeah and it is that transformation of how when you do a space up how it makes you feel it makes Mm. you feel amazing if it's all like anaglyptor and magnolia and blur and unloved and then you bring in the color and the creativity i think is a really big thing it's not just about rolling out a new color on the walls it is your collection of art yeah your things your possessions your knickknacks it's all of those layers I call it like feathering a nest it's just bringing yeah. more um you're right it's not about the color so much is it is it? it's, it's the whole thing and character. yeah and I sort of found myself like I've always loved design but it has only been recently where I kind of realized that it's a real gift 
to be able to do up your house because for lots of people and I kind of want to say women because I know it's mainly women who um love my content it is this this homemaking if you like is a creative outlet and not Mm. everybody has that and I've always had that and it was really helped through all my woes of not being able to have a child or whatever it might be being able to be creative in my home has always been my happy it's always lifted me up and made me feel good and if you've got a home even if you rent you don't have to own a home you can have this you can have this creative outlet yeah. of playing with pattern, with colour, playing around with how things look, how you respond to stuff, working out what colours lift you up. And everybody's got one, and it makes a massive in, it makes a massive impact on us. I mean, it's massive. been scientifically proven. Yeah, they said there was a brilliant um, study by the Happiness Institute based in Co- there is a thing called the Happiness Institute. Can you believe it? it's brilliant? Based in Copenhagen, and they, they never have did, a bad day there. They never have a bad day there. <laughs> They did extensive research into what affects our well-being and happiness. And one was our mental health, like mm. literally our mental health. And then number two was your home. Ah. And that came ahead of how much money you earn, came ahead of what job you've got, came ahead of your social status in the world. Mm. And physical well-being came ahead of that too. Wow. So I think it's really underestimated. Me too. Um, I, I can literally have my mood lifted by by what I see in my house every day. Just combination of colors it has a really positive effect on my head I can feel it happen to me I actually wondered if you might know if there's a word for that because I sometimes if I see like the way two colors look next to each other or just the color of something unexpected it might even be like one of the kids toys or I don't know something I pass or something but I feel like I can get like a lift from it yeah yeah like a boost of serotonin isn't it yeah well I think what's really interesting and this is what I covered in the colour psychology course that I launched earlier in the year I was telling you about, is we all have quite unique reactions to colour. Hmm. So, for example, um, you know, you and I obviously clearly have a similar resonance with colour and we hmm. enjoy seeing certain colours together. So, for example, like behind you, I've painted my doors like a really acid lemon yellow. I spotted that, yeah. And that, I'm just like, that's just brilliant to me. Yeah, it gives you something when you look at it. But I'm aware that some people are like, oh my gosh, why do you paint your doors yellow that's a really hectic color and um and so it's it's not just going these these are the happy colors although they are they are joy they are from a joyful palette of colors but going back to your sort of question of whether people with all gray interiors can truly be happy for certain people a very chalky gray monotone is that is their happy place yes i can understand that really. i did some work, oh, just being immature i was being uh, i did some work <laughs> with kelly hopp and we were on telly together a few years ago and kelly hopp obviously a really successful interior designer so yes. successful she's literally made billions out of the color taupe like that it is popular let's just put it, it that is way popular. um and she does it extremely well and she's totally carved that market that she knows how to do the the neutrals thing and we were filming and i was wearing a particularly larry psychedelic dress at the time <laughs> you rebel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she was like so you were literally giving me a headache standing what? next to you she was stressed oh. it was stressing her out wow and i thought that and i don't think she was just you know she was obviously slightly joking but she was also it's true yeah, really understand. really hectic colors really stress her out and then i did my podcast in her house beautiful house in bayswater or notting hill somewhere like it just like exquisite and I could appreciate the beauty and the, and the you know, it was good design. Hmm. But I did not want to hang out there because it was just 50 shades of grey. 
And I found myself... <laughs> Making no assumptions no, about what goes on yeah. with you. Yeah, you know, and I'd say this to Kelly's face, it's cool. I'm not saying she's got a horrible house, but for me, her colour palette bring, puts me on a downer. Mm. It just... So for her, it makes her feel calm and I serene. guess interior designers can talk to each other like that without offending you. I don't know whether they can. <laughs> <laughs> many I think Kelly can take it she's got thick skin but no a lot of interior designers are very precious but I think it's really important to acknowledge that there's not one size fits all Mm. and um and so yes I encourage bright color and pattern and if you if you love it come and jump on the fun bus let's go but at the same time (laughs) I'm already there not for you then that's cool too yeah I think some people are quite scared of things as well because I think if you're someone that feels happy being very demonstrative in your home about what makes you happy, even if it's quite outlandish and bold, I think sometimes that's a language you have to teach yourself. Not everybody grows up yeah, in a creative home. My mum, like, she's got things we've drawn on the wall. I was, my bedroom at home, the rag rolling. But then I Is also it still did, there? Uh, the rag rolling's gone, but I painted on the wall when I was 11 when we moved in. I did murals. So I did like one of like a mermaid, I did a girl on a horse, I did a big cherub on the wall, like massive. My mum kept some of them and there's a bit on the wall where she's got all of us to write down poems. And so this is when I must have been about 15, 16. So of course I went like, I did pulp lyrics and Emily Dickinson poem. It's like the most teenage thing you've ever seen. Yeah, totally. But it has like things my brother and sister did. And that's been there for a decade. And I, I think the fact that I grew up in a home where writing on the wall was completely yeah. fine if it was something that you were committed to and it was you know there to be enjoyed not there as an act of like rebellion but I definitely do it with my kids and if they do actually I wonder how you'd write so one of my children maybe not in the smartest move not only did he draw on the wall he decided to write his name so obviously I was like Ray <laughs> you've written Ray on the wall <laughs> how would take you going to ship isn't it <laughs> well also I'm like it's not the smartest bit of graffiti you've ever done <laughs> it's quite immediately identifiable as you but how would you feel about if Arthur did something on wrote on the wall or what in something? here yeah in here Oh, yeah, that's a... Ri- oh, now, see, this is really interesting because I was just li- listening to you thinking how incredible for your mum because she's literally given you permission to express yourself in your own home and I think yeah. that is wonderful. And I... The reason why I think I'm... I got on to wanting to... Because I wanted to be an interior designer from the get-go was because at age seven, my mum gave me complete carte blanche to do whatever I wanted in my bedroom and it was such an empowering, exciting experience um and then continued to let me have an influence and a say there wasn't I didn't I did a mural on a door once yeah I remember doing that on a door but not on the walls as such Mm. but you know wherever it is whatever surface you're allowed I think some ownership where you're not being controlled and saying oh no darling you need to do it in this color and I'd actually like this typeface and you know it's just like whatever you want um and obviously the kids bedroom is the obvious place for them Mm. to do that and I would say that yeah, Arthur can wholeheartedly do it there. Probably not in here. No, I'd, I wouldn't like him but... to do it in here. You've got to have one. But they've well, got to have, one, yeah, really, no, but... I think that's really important to have that space to do it. I think it's really, really important. And I absolutely, one of my biggest design crimes is those hideous overstyled kids rooms on Instagram where okay for a baby fine but I'm sorry when your child's like five or over I mean even before five Arthur was very opinionated on what he wanted for his bedroom I think it's one room in your whole house like move over fashion police I know let the kids I do find it quite funny when people have got these really like polite like beautiful like shades of like you know 
taupe or like the old pop of yellow but it's basically a very neutral kids room like yeah <laughs> just wait and they go we only want yes. wooden toys no plastic just wait i love <laughs> that you know what's coming yeah, evil laugh. the teenage thunderstorm is brewing when oh, they're gonna yeah. get their own back yeah no i think it's um yeah because i had that incredible experience and obviously you did too and mm. you know what that meant to you it's just really empowering and it encourages you to be creative it tells you see the thing is with children as well whatever art they create is brilliant isn't mm. it so yeah. we can't judge it and say oh well no that's you know not the way to do it so no i yeah i think that's i think that's really important so if, if anyone was listening and thinking what's a good place to start with making their home feel a bit more joyful, have you got something you normally recommend when people ask for a bit of advice? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of fear around doing your house up. And while I've been extolling Instagram as being the best thing ever, it also gives people a lot of concern about keeping up and you know, I've already admitted to you that this house looked like a total car crash before you arrived this morning. <laughs> you walked in here like, oh, it's so beautifully styled. And I was like, yeah, not 45 minutes ago. It wasn't. But also, the sort of mess so, you described wasn't really yeah. welcome, eh? You had like some papers out and some Lego on that's like, that's very acceptable. <laughs> but I think it's really, yeah, I think it's, I think one of the bad things about social media and, and my whole career in magazines is making people that think that there's this perfect life that's unobtainable um, and that it has to look a certain way. The other thing that you have to do, and I'm amazed this is still an issue, is stop worrying what other people think. Mm. It stops so many people going for that luscious colour or that chintzy sofa or that really crazy artwork. It's like, oh, is that a bit much? Will people judge me? Yeah. Like, n- number one, seriously, that is absolute insanity first of all it's your house and you're Even the one who's a in it person is your other half yes okay well that's <laughs> do it they're another bit of a roadblock that we have to with this different negotiation tools to get around yeah. them but i think that's really important the other thing is to notice like we've already sort of touched on everybody's got really different tastes and mm. ideas of what's nice and you're never going to please everybody so when people are like oh i want to set i'm going to sell my house at some point therefore should i do it neutral like yeah this house was neutral when I bought it and I hated it and I couldn't wait to get the beige out. So you never know who your future buyer is going to be. So, you know, let's just get rid of all the fear of what other people think. And then it's really down to you. And you have to do the work. There isn't some, you know, I'm not going to give you a colouring in book of like, do the walls this colour and the floor this (laughs) colour and off you go. You have to do the work and you have to really understand what designs and colours you like. And you have to listen to your heart. I think we live in our head so much Mm. You know, is this a trend? Am I going to go off it? Am I only liking it? Because it's this is the, all the feedback I hear from people. It's all head fear. Yeah. And drop into your heart. And if you, like the wallpaper in my office, it came through the post. Squeals, like literal squeals of delight. Hairs on the back of the neck. Hmm. You no, know, you have to have that. You have to have that thing if you're getting that kind of yeah, yeah. reaction. But you have to allow yourself to be open to that. You know, if you see that sunshine yellow velvet sofa, in the shop window and you're like oh you just feel the uplift yeah you know then it comes in the voice going oh wow yeah but will you go off bright yellow you know shut that voice off yeah listen to the heartfelt one so I think for anybody who's looking to be more courageous more bold take bolder choices it's because you need to if you've got that conversation people in grey houses don't have these worries they're happy with their grey but if you're someone in a grey or beige house itch feeling something's not being fulfilled Mm. here feeling like the potential hasn't been unleashed then you've got to start doing the work Mm. and it could be a wallpaper it could be a piece of artwork it could be a fabric cushion you start small 
I mean, one of my sort of biggest tips for people who are totally stuck is take a fabric you love, okay? So like this chintz on this sofa. I love this fabric so much. Mm-hmm. I've even got a jumpsuit in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Must be very confusing when you sit on yeah. the yeah. Yeah. head. It's such, a good, it's such a good fabric. But it's because the palette is the orange, the pink, the blue. Can you see all the different colours in isolation? Those are all the colours I love. So the pink's on the walls, you know, the blue's on the sofa over there. The greens are in accessories, and so it and yeah. so it goes out. It's so a celebration, isn't it's it? an easy way to kick off a scheme. Is just to start with like a hero mm. pattern, if you like. Well, I think it's really so so successful. It's such a lovely environment here. It's... Are you getting hot? I'm actually getting really hot yeah, now with the wood burner. I can yeah. feel my cheeks are burning. No, no, me too. <laughs> I've done this weird thing of sort of taking half my cardio off. Because earlier, um, I went into a coffee shop with Claire and I looked down and my middle button had popped open. Oh, we love that. And I'm just really paranoid happens. that's going to happen again. <laughs> so I've been cautiously holding onto the middle of my dress for some oh, time Oh, wow, Sophie is hot. She's literally <laughs> stripping off. Luckily, I'm wearing a really colourful bra, so you'd be okay with that. <laughs> still coordinating. Oh, yeah. Right, all the way to the end. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, no, I think um, not only have you let us into your house, we're going to have some lunch. Yeah, we're going to have some lunch. So let's go and eat because my tummy's been making really loud rumble. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sophie. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thanks for coming. We're going to go and open the window. Oh, I know. Oh, how lovely was that? Well, you giggling along with Sophie and I as you listened. Um, it was nice to have a proper laugh, actually. I found myself smiling a lot. And I'm sorry if I offended anyone by um, asking that question about if uh, colourful homes... Sorry, non, non-colourful homes aren't, aren't filled with as much sort of passion. I'm sure it's not true. I think it's also just because I'm also a little bit, sometimes a bit jealous of people who are able to have very sort of paired back surroundings. My So much of my colour in my house is derived from very strange items for a grown woman to have, like oversized toys and ice creams and things like this. So I do appreciate that um, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> um, but it was so nice to see Sophie and spend time in her colour-drenched house, which... Um, does wonders for my soul and my spirit, as did the delicious spinach pie that her husband Tom made for our lunch that day. Uh, what a lovely thing that is. It's not often if I ask someone to be my guest on my podcast that they end up making me lunch. But <laughs> never going to say no to that, am I? Um, thanks so much for giving me your time. As I speak to you, it is the end of Sunday and... The nights are drawing in, so it's pitch black outside, even though it's not actually that late. We managed a little bit of a wintry autumnal, I should say, autumnal walk today in the rain. But mainly we were quite sloth-like this weekend, just spending lots of time indoors and wearing gym jams, apart from my sparkly gold dress, as I mentioned before, which I'm still wearing. Anyway, I will uh, see you next week. Um, when I will be joined with the lovely Jessie Cave, who recently welcomed her third baby into the world. And we speak all things having a baby uh, during this year, what it's like to be meet the father of your child and get together very quick, and also what it's like when you split up for a while, which is what happened to them. So I had a lovely chat with Jessie. I really enjoyed her company too. See you next week. Thanks so much. Take care, stay safe, and stay sane.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, (laughs) you you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.